Hello, you're listening to the podcast for First Christian Church in Wadsworth, Ohio. Join us this Lent as we explore the theme of community. You can join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. Eastern on Facebook and YouTube for worship, or listen here for the scripture and sermon. We hope you find it meaningful. Our scripture for today comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 2, verses 13 through 22. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Today we come to week four of Lent and week four on our series about community. So far, we have explored what it means to be part of the community of creation, to be bound together as a covenant community, and to work towards building the beloved community. Today, we are going to reflect on our high calling to establish communities of justice that reflect the right relations that God desires for all of God's people. I'm going to start off with a little exercise for us. I want to invite you to close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to simply imagine Jesus. When you picture Jesus in your mind, what do you see? Is it Jesus as a shepherd carrying the lost lamb back to the fold? Is it Jesus teaching the crowds or laying hands on someone to heal them? Maybe it's Jesus in a boat, calming the waves or walking across the water. Do you imagine Jesus breaking bread at table or washing the feet of his disciples? Or perhaps you imagine Jesus on the cross. Okay, you can go ahead and open your eyes. Now I would venture to guess that most of us, when we draw close to God in our own times of prayer and meditation, something that we're encouraged to do this season of Lent, that we imagine scenes of Jesus as a wise teacher as a compassionate healer, 
as a merciful redeemer. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to guess that few to none of us picture Jesus as described in today's passage from John, the prophetic and angry Jesus overturning the tables in the temple. Yet, if we want to truly understand this Jesus that we follow and seek to be his community on earth, we must do our best to pay heed to what Jesus is trying to teach us today. So let's take a moment and just imagine the scene together. It's the festival of the Passover. The Jews have traveled from far and wide from their homes in the countryside to come to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate and observe this important religious festival. The city is packed with people, and at the center of it all is the temple, buzzing with activity. The faithful have traveled all this way with family members and sometimes animals in tow to fulfill their obligation before God. This obligation includes presenting an unblemished animal to the priest and paying the temple tax. Now, because it could be difficult to acquire an unblemished animal or to travel a far distance with one, stalls had been set up at the temple for the convenience of the worshipers to purchase an animal upon their arrival. Also located at the temple were tables where families could exchange their currency for shekels, the only coin that was allowed for payment of the temple tax. Jesus arrives at the temple, witnesses this chaotic scene, leaves, makes himself a whip of cords, and goes back where in dramatic fashion he drives out the animals, overturns the tables of the money changers, and dumps out their coins. Leaving the crowds and the religious leaders stunned and likely a bit irritated. And they basically say as much to Jesus, basically saying, who are you to come in here and disrupt everything? What sign can you give us, they asked him. In essence, by what authority are you doing this? Now, as disturbing as this Jesus was to the onlookers that day, it can also be disturbing for us to encounter this Jesus in our scriptures. Kate and I met and struggled together about how to explain this story in a children's sermon. Most of the time, we tend to rely on that companionship of the gentle and compassionate Jesus. And that's okay. But this angry and disturbing Jesus who disrupts our peace and comfort is not necessarily a bad thing. So let's try to figure out 
what the scriptures can share with us, what Jesus was so fired up about. We have a few clues in the story, not a lot, but a few. It's important to note that this story is told in all four gospels. It clearly had a significant impact on the collective memory of Jesus's early followers so that they all recorded the incident. Now, in the other three gospel accounts, in Matthew and Mark and Luke, they include a detail that John does not include, which might help us make more sense of Jesus's actions. In their accounts, Jesus follows up his comment about his father's house being a house of prayer with an accusation. He goes on to say, but you have made it a den of robbers. So these accounts seem to imply that there may have been some dishonest or exploitative economic practices going down in the courtyard of the temple. That all of those transactions were not perhaps on the up and up. But I think one of the most important ways that we can make sense of Jesus's words and actions in the temple is to compare it with the words and actions of the prophets. Many people, including those of his own day, interpreted Jesus's actions as further proof that he was sent from God. He was acting and speaking in a way that echoed the prophets who came before him. Mighty prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Amos, who were given special messages by God to serve as a sort of wake-up call to God's people. And these messages were often disturbing and upsetting, pointing out the ways that the people had forgotten God, neglected their true worship of God. One of the most common accusations leveled against the people that we see among these prophets had to do with the relationship between right worship of God and the practice of justice. For those of you who have your Bibles with you or who like to take notes, there are three phrases that come up that are very similar in Jeremiah 6.20, in Isaiah 1.11, and in Amos 5.21. And basically, these all say, essentially, God speaking to the people and letting them know that God takes no delight in their worship. The language is even so strong as saying, I hate your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Strong words from God towards the people. And if we look further at each of those three passages, we begin to see more detail about what is causing this anger by God. In Jeremiah 5, we hear, your houses are full of treachery, Therefore, they have become great and rich, have grown fat and sleek. 
The people know no limits in deeds of wickedness. They do not judge with justice the cause of the orphan to make it prosper. They do not defend the rights of the needy. Shall I not punish them for these things, says the Lord, and shall I not bring retribution on a nation such as this? In Amos 5, the people are told, you trample the poor and push aside the needy at the gate. God goes on to encourage them to hate evil and to love good and to establish justice. And finally, in Isaiah chapter 1, 15 through 17, God says, even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rescue the oppressed. Defend the orphan. Plead for the widow. Like the prophets before him, Jesus came to shake people out of their complacency to point out where we have gone wrong and to point us back in the right direction. It is not enough, the scriptures tell us, to simply worship, to make our confession for all of the ways that we have harmed or neglected those who are suffering. I'm struck by all of the action verbs that are in that last passage from Isaiah. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Cease, learn, seek, rescue, defend, and plead. That is a long list, and it was a tall order in Isaiah's day. And it is no less so in our own day. Everywhere we look, we see differences in wealth and power and status. Some groups have greater privileges, higher status, and more power than others. In this unequal social system, there is unfair treatment directed against individuals and groups based on everything from age to race ethnicity, to gender, sexual orientation, ability or disability. If there is any doubt in anyone's mind about this widespread problem of social inequality or social injustice, I encourage you to dig into the research that is out there. I came across a study that was done by a researcher in Wisconsin The researcher sent out pairs of college students, men, to apply for 350 entry-level jobs in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. One team was African-American and one team was white. The teams had identical resumes 
except for one difference. On each team, one of the men said that they had served 18 months in jail for drug possession. The results were this. Not surprisingly, the men without a prison record were two to three times more likely to receive a callback from the job. However, white men with a prison record were more likely to be offered a job than African-American men who had a clean record. This is just one study highlighting the injustices in hiring practices. But we also know that even after equally qualified people are hired, injustice and inequality persist in how people are paid. A quick look at the US Bureau of Labor Statistics reveals chart after chart of wage inequality for women and people of color. This unequal treatment extends to all areas of our society, education and housing, healthcare, public safety, exposure to environmental hazards, basically all of the key supports that we all need to live healthy lives and fulfill our potential. These seem to be guaranteed for some, but denied to others. The damage done by severe inequality was brought home to me in a powerful way in 1998. Clark and I had just completed our graduate studies, gotten married, and we were looking for our first jobs, first full-time jobs he needed to find an Episcopal church where he could serve as a deacon for a year before getting ordained as a priest. Being in Chicago, we were fortunate he was able to find a multi-staff congregation that needed a youth pastor in a wealthy suburb. I wanted to find a job as a social worker that would give me an opportunity to put what I had learned in all of these books to practice but more importantly, to learn directly from the clients. So I took a position as a caseworker at a homeless shelter on the south side of Chicago, Maria's Shelter, run by a group of Catholic nuns. As you can imagine, the disparities between the community where I was working and the community where Clark was working were dramatic, to say the least. At times, it felt like two different worlds. In Hinsdale, the suburb where he worked, the household median income is $200,000. On the south side of Chicago, the household median income is $36,000. The church where he worked had its own boutique gift shop that sold expensive jewelry Driving to work every day, I passed numerous pawn shops where people could sell their jewelry to pay their bills. Hinsdale is an idyllic suburb of tree-lined streets, lovely homes, and a quaint downtown. 
The favorite thing for children to do was to ride their bikes downtown and go to the little deli to grab a snack. The neighborhood where I worked was block after block of rundown and abandoned houses, neglected parks, dilapidated schools, shopping limited to just some mom and pop corner stores. The homeless shelter where I worked had been converted from an old school. And we had a little tiny playground out front. But after the local drug dealers started frequenting it to conduct their business, we had to make it off limits for the children at the shelter. The women that I worked with were intelligent and capable. They wanted desperately to find a good job and a safe place to live and just to make a better life for their children. But it was clear that their children were going to have to overcome mountains of obstacles to achieve their dreams while the children in Hinsdale were being chauffeured along the road to success by virtue of their zip code. The systems of injustice and inequality are deeply entrenched in our society, and we will have to go to great lengths to overturn them. But overturn them, we must. Now some may argue, why does the church need to be involved in this project of combating social injustice? To put it very simply, in the words of the theologian Reinhold Niebuhr, love is the motive, but justice is the instrument. It all comes back to what it means to be a community of Jesus followers, to truly grasp the kind of community that God is calling us to be as followers of Jesus Christ. I want us to go back and take one more quick look at that scene from the temple today. What we learn about community from this passage is both incredibly exciting and extremely daunting all at the same time. Now you may recall that this disruptive incident is followed by this conversation between Jesus and the authorities. And he says some kind of strange and puzzling things about the temple. Remember that in Jesus' day, the temple was considered to be the dwelling place for God. The very first temple built by King David was constructed to be a house for the holy tabernacle, God's dwelling place. Now, when Jesus is asked to justify his actions in the temple and offer up a sign, Jesus says simply, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. Now, after his death and resurrection, the followers of Jesus understood these three days as representing his death and resurrection. So that the temple was replaced by Jesus' own body. 
And that became the dwelling place for God. But what is the manifestation of Christ's body on earth but the church? The early followers of Jesus described their community as the body of Christ. Ephesians 2, 20-21 says this, Christ Jesus himself is the cornerstone. In him, the whole structure is joined together and grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are built together spiritually into a dwelling place for God. You and I, FCC Wadsworth, are nothing less than a dwelling place for God, a holy temple, the community of Christ's body on earth. Lent is our time for self-examination, but today Jesus calls us to examine not only our personal lives, but the life of our community. Is our community a temple of God, the God of compassion and justice? Is our worship pleasing to God? When people look at our community, do they see a community actively involved in learning to do good, seeking justice, and assisting the oppressed? And if we aren't sure what exactly we are being called to do as God's community of justice, let us come together as a community and ask God to show us the next step. But we should definitely be prepared for it to be disruptive to others and also to ourselves. Jesus continues to enter our individual lives and our corporate lives to interrupt business as usual. But that is not a bad thing. Bishop Oscar Romero, who was martyred in the path of nonviolence, said this, a church that does not provoke any crisis preach a gospel that does not unsettle, proclaim a word of God that does not get under anyone's skin, or a word of God that does not touch the real sin of the society in which it is being proclaimed, what kind of gospel is that? Amen. Thanks for checking out our podcast. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us online at fccwadsworth.org. There you can find our blog with sermon transcripts and more, as well as information about our church, including our beliefs and history, links to worship and give, and our many ministries with folks of all ages. We hope you'll also connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. You are welcome here.